0: Today is April 2nd, 2017. April 2nd, 2017. The title of today's sermon is A Just War. A Just War. Um, as, as I was hearing pastor, uh, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. I hope I'm saying the right thing because I was just moved to, to this scripture. So I hope I'm picking the right one. And if I don't, you'll all forgive me. Amen. First 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. Say there when you are there. There. We are going somewhere together today, amen? Amen. We are trying to find out how to resonate with what the Spirit is speaking to us. You know what happens when you start resonating together? You start moving together. When you start moving together, things get amplified together. Pardon my background as a music teacher, but the best way to stay, to get as loud as you possibly can is to be perfectly in tune with each other that amplifies what everyone is doing. What we're trying to do is, is get perfectly in tune with what the God of all creation is speaking to this group of people. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. Are you there with me? Yes. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, everybody say suffered. suffered. Huh. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Isn't that interesting? Now you know that you can arm yourself with the attitude, don't you? You've seen the people who are walking around and they have an attitude and they feel like they have the back away from me kind of attitude. We're going to arm ourselves with the exact same attitude that Christ had because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. By the way, don't try to separate that. Don't try to say that there are evil human desires and just other human desires. If you're walking in human desires, they're all evil because they're opposed to him. But rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Is that true with your life? Because it's true with mine. I've spent enough time doing it that way. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Unless you think that that list doesn't apply to you, I promise you. Let's meet a few minutes after church and I promise you we will see how the word of God is true. Let, us, and let every one of us be called a liar, but let's not call the word of God a lie. Amen. If it says detestable idolatry, we might not have a little Buddha statue in our living room, but I promise you, maybe the TV that, would be, that it would be replacing is your idol. Maybe the things in your life that you cannot give up, you haven't noticed and labeled as idols, but they're no less idolatrous to the king of all creation. Verse 4, they think it's strange. Should I say Strange. strange. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. Can I encourage you that we are living in a world that is full of a flood of dissipation. It's flooding. My wife and I took our youngest uh, to a movie yesterday, an animated movie. We went and took, them, took her to go see it. The commercials before the movie, which is an interesting thing to me that I'm going to pay for you to show me commercials. But that's okay. That's what it is, right? We're there in every commercial. You know what it was demonstrating? For a child's movie. Don't tell me what to do. And don't tell me where to go. And don't tell me what to say. Everything, that was literally the song that was being played as they pranced around drinking whatever beverage that, uh, that they wanted to drink or whatever it was to show you the life that they wanted to have. Don't tell me what I'm supposed to do. Wow. Don't you dare tell me what I'm This is for a chill, child's movie. It's for a Lego movie. And this is what they're trying to sing to us and dance and celebrate. They're saying, hey, don't tell me what to do. You know why? Because uh, who are you to tell me? If you have that attitude in this place today, it's going to get crushed in Jesus' name. Because that is part of the flood of dissipation that leads you away from Christ and part of exactly what's going on in the rest of the world. Would you turn with me to First Timothy chapter 1? Don't get caught up in the flood of dissipation. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We began speaking on Wednesday night about having the right kind of fight in your life. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 18 says this. You with me? Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them... huh? God has laid out something that we are supposed to follow. You may fight the good fight. I don't know if you remember the specific Greek word, but it's this: you're supposed to strategize the good strategy. You are supposed to wage a good warfare. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. In other words, you've got to understand what the good fight is. And if you remember what we talked on Wednesday as well, you know what the word good there is? It means that it is morally, it is the right thing to do, whether it's benevolent for you or not. It doesn't make it good and right if if it does something for you. It is good and right in and of itself, and we choose to engage. We choose to strategize and war about that kind of a fight. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, it says this, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of many martyrs. That, there, that fighting the good fight here is to agonize the good agony. So we start off by strategizing the good strategy, but we're not just trying to start a fight. We're not just trying to start a war. We are called to finish a fight. We are called to finish the war. And that takes agony. You have to struggle and strain every day. Well, pastor, that's not a very encouraging word. It sure is encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. When you're in the midst of struggle and to know that this is something that God has for you, that should be the most encouraging thing that you can imagine. In Acts 14, Paul is going around. You know what he's doing? Strengthening the churches. You know how he strengthened them? Saying this is going to be really, really hard, guys. This is going to be incredibly hard. Every day, you're going to have to struggle and strain. You know why? Because there is a flood of dissipation that is trying to wash you away. And you are trying to stand and not just exist and not just keep from getting thrown into the abyss. You're actually trying to advance against the flood of dissipation. You're going the wrong way. You're the salmon that's swimming upstream because that's what you were called to do. It is a worthy fight that we are fighting. We're going to be like the Transjordanic tribes that say, I'm not, even if I can get my inheritance now, I choose to let it rest here while I go fight with those who don't yet have their inheritance. I'm going to go with them. I could stop, but it's not right for me to stop. Maybe we're like Nehemiah that says, I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my brothers, and I'm going to fight for my sisters, and I'm going to fight for the husbands and the wives and the mothers and father, because that is the right thing to do. Why is it that in Christianity we've demasculinized everything about it? Why is it that when you meet a pastor somewhere that's been part of a denomination that they're the most effeminate people that you can meet? It's true. Because we're saying, "Hey, we don't want you to be overly aggressive because we're going to only and here's what they do. I think I'm not even knocking the I'm saying they're real pastors. I'm not even trying to knock them, but you know what they've been told? They've been told that this gospel is about peace, man. It's only about love. It is about those things. You know what it's also about? War. It's about fighting for what's right. If someone comes in here and starts to take our children, starts to harm your wife, you know what's godly to do? To fight them with every last breath that you have. That that sounds a little... That sounds a little different, doesn't it? This is the righteous standard of God. You know what I had to learn? I wanted to be just like God. Growing up, I remember being brought up in a Christian home, and I wanted to be like Christ. I really did. But you know what I thought that meant? Is that I always had to be quiet. That I always had to be nice. That's what I learned growing up. If you were loud, if you were too boisterous, it really just wasn't very godly. What a ridiculous picture to grow up. It works well for me because I was a good little kid in school. So I got rewarded for having a wrong theology. I got rewarded because I could sit still in class and listen really well. You make good grades, people keep rewarding you. You know what I want to be? I want to be a warrior for God. I want to fight the right kind of fights. You know what the Lord will do in your life if you actually want that? He'll cause everyday examples to come up. The last place that we lived, I literally had a guy who, uh, you know, Nicholas is, 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 a, is a brother here with us today. You know, twice as tall as Nicholas. Twice as many muscles. I know that's hard to figure that out and how that can happen. Can't be done. Can't be done. You know what the Lord will entrust you with? Having <laughs> the last place that we lived, we had the, uh, the lifeguard come up and say, we need Wade. It's like, you're the lifeguard. I wasn't at the pool. I live next door to the pool. Hey, go get him. Why? Because there's some big, muscled-up dude that may be hurt about to hurt a uh, young lady. Awesome. Hey, man, call 911, honey. I, I see elders, such wisdom. Uh, Hun, you better call 911 because I'm not going to let this happen, but I'm not saying I'm going to win either. What I found was a broken human being who actually needed someone with authority and a backbone to tell him to shut up, sit down, so that we can actually get to the heart of the matter. That's what I found. It's worthy to fight. We need to have a just war. As I was looking up uh, a just war today, you know, we tried to come up with a list this morning of a list of just wars. Can I tell you what's really hard to find? A list of just wars. of righteous fights. you know why? Because it depends on who writes the list. This one is a just war. This one, not so much. You can't find the same list anywhere. But what I did find was this: They have something called a just war theory, and it, ma- it matters. And they focus it on two points. Is it right to go to war? So the morality of the war. And are you, do you have right conduct within the war? So is the war itself a moral fight? And are you acting morally within the fight? This is a secular term, folks. This is secular understanding. It says this. A just war theory postulates that war, while terrible, is not always the worst option. Important responsibilities, undesirable outcomes, or... Preventable atrocities may justify war. What an interesting thought. One of the early, some of the, in early Christianity, one of the writers, St. Augustine, says this. They who have waged war in obedience to the divine command, or in conformity with his laws, have represented in their persons the public justice. Everybody say justice. justice. God cares about justice. He cares about justice for animals. He cares about justice surely for people. In their persons, the public justice or the wisdom of the government, and in this capacity have put to death wicked men. Such persons have by no means violated the commandment, Thou shalt not kill. St. Augustine thinks it's okay for us to defend justice. Another early Christian writer, Thomas Aquinas, says this. First, A just war must be waged by a properly instituted authority. We're going to continue to talk about these things. Second, war must occur for a good and just purpose rather than for selfish gain. We are not talking about fighting a good fight here today that improves your pocketbook, that improves your standing in this world. As a matter of fact, what we're kind of talking about today, the kind of war that we're talking about will probably destroy all of the above. When we start talking about Nehemiah and we're like, yeah, let's fight for your family. Amen. You know what that may mean? It may mean that you fight your family. As a matter of fact, that may happen more often than not. It may be that to to fight for your family, you may have to fight with them. They may not want your help. And you know what? You have to go, I love you enough, but I'm going to say the difficult thing. I love you enough that I'm going to tell you when you're living in idolatry. I love you enough when I'm, uh, that I'm going to tell you when you're living in sin. Because that is my stance because I actually love you. That's not the love that the world defines. That's part of the flood of dissipation. What does our world say? If you, don't love, if you love me, you have to agree with me. That's what we've boiled love down to. That's so ridiculous. Well, you can't say anything about homosexual lifestyle. You know why? Because that means you hate us. Come on, grow up, buttercup. This is, that's not at all what this is. (laughs) Snowflakes. Come on, man. You don't think I can actually look at you and say that you're living a life of sin? It's because I love you that I'm telling you this. If I honestly think my son had this interaction with a person in the mall. He was a 25-year-old law student. A Muslim. And my son said, Sir. You are, you are destined for hell the way that you are living. The man said, you can't say that to me. And my son's response was this. If I actually believe it, if I actually honestly think in my heart of hearts that you are going to hell because you have chosen not to follow Christ, what kind of monster would I be not to tell you that? This law student, prolific in his understanding of legal matters, Eloquent in every part of his speech, sat there dumbfounded with no rebuttal. (laughs) I love you and I love my God so much that I've got to tell you that you're living in sin, man. You are in the flood of dissipation. You don't even know it. It's just moments before you're about to drown or or roll off a cliff. You want me to not say anything because you want me to love you? It's ridiculous. Don't you let your mind get caught up in those kind of things. Don't, don't you let your mind say that love equals acceptance only. That's ridiculous. It's part of a flood of dissipation. Let me read this one last thing to you here. It says that a just, just war theorist combine a moral abhorrence towards war with a readiness to accept that war may sometimes be necessary. The criteria of the just war tradition act as an aid to determine whether resorting to arms is morally permissible Just war theories are attempts to distinguish between justifiable and unjustifiable uses of organized armed forces. They attempt to conceive of how the use of arms might be restrained, made more humane, and ultimately direct towards the aim of establishing lasting peace and justice. You know what? That should be our understanding. What are we trying to do? Why do we have to go to war? Why do we have to pick a fight? Because there is everlasting justice and peace that are on the line. To get to the right kind of peace, we cannot stand idly by. Would you turn with me to Psalm 82? Psalm 82. I'm going to tell you a little secret that's not so much a secret. This church is not a church that believes in pacifism. Big secret, right? If you don't know us, then that may shock you. But if you know us, that should not be shocking at all. We don't believe the gospel is a pacifist kind of gospel. Take a look in Psalm 82, verse 3. Are you there? It says this Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Do you hear those verbs that are there? Do you hear those intense words? Defend, maintain, rescue, deliver. Would you turn with me to Proverbs 24? Proverbs chapter 24. And verse 10 says this. If you falter in times of strength, I'm sorry, if you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Okay, think about that for a second. If you actually fail when you most need to succeed, how small is your strength? No, man, I can do this. I can do this. I just can't handle the pressure. Then you can't do it. I mean, I I can make the free throw, you know, when nobody's around. Great. You're not going to win the game. You have to be able to have your strength sustained, especially in times of trouble. It's kind of like faith, right? It's not faith if you can see it. If If you've already got it all worked out and it's in your strength, then you haven't relied on the Lord to do it. Verse 11, rescue those being led away to death. Rescue them. Rescue them. Some people have this built in their spirit as a human being and they go out and they become firemen and they become soldiers, some of them, or, or, milita- or police. They, have it this, they want to go rescue. That should be building in the heart of every single believer. You should look at people and want to rescue them. When you go into the prisons with our prison team on Sunday morning, your heart should be moved because you want to rescue them from the hell that they're living on earth, much less an eternal one. You should be moved to rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards the slaughter. God, doesn't that remind you of that flood of dissipation again? Some you're having to go rescue because they're already captured. Some you're having to, to, to fight and they're want, No, I want to go over here. No, I'm straining against you. Please listen to my words so that you don't end up there. We're going to fight. I'll even fight against you if it's actually going to be fighting for you. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. Look at verse 12. This needs to settle in in our spirits. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? You cannot. I cannot go around and say, well, you know, I mean, they're really not. We cannot close our eyes to the atrocities that are around us. We cannot close our eyes to the injustice around us and have God say, it's, that he's going to be okay with that. Lord, I, didn't, I mean, I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, who can know such things? Don't you think the Lord knows that about your heart? Yeah. He's saying it should move you. And every time you close your eyes, just because you're callous to it doesn't get you off the hook from it. The idea that you're trying to be something, whatever you think it may be, instead of going, I need to go wage war and I need to find the just kind of war to wage. Would you turn with me to Exodus 15.3? Exodus 15:3 <clears throat> Joey, go ahead and put that up on the screen when you're ready? So we have uh, you can do the actual scripture. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> "The Lord is a warrior. the Lord is His name." Anybody confused on the verse? Seems rather complex, right? The Lord is a warrior. He is a man of war. The Lord is His name. So on this end of a spectrum, we have that the Lord Himself is a warrior. He is. That is what He is. That's one of the nature. That's part of His nature. This is what He is. This is what He does. Would you put up on the screen Ephesians 6, 12? So on this end of a spectrum, we have this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realm. So over here on this end, we have a spiritual battle. Is everybody with me so far? You know what people want to do? We want to settle in to one side of this or the other. There is supposed to be a tension between these two things. Attention that keeps us a tension to cause us to pay attention. Amen. It's supposed to be that way where you go, if everything is only a spiritual battle, then you know what happens? You get confused and you allow your own family to get hurt when the time comes. That's ridiculous. Or you pick fights just because you're obstinate and you blame it on the Lord. Both ends of this spectrum are absolutely needed. The tension that's between these two, we have to continue to hold on that God is a warrior and that there are spiritual battles afoot. We are not just fighting against flesh and blood. We're not just going to go out and pick a fight because we were obstinate. We're going to fight a good fight. We're going to learn how to make a just war in the heavens. Turn to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. Verse 13, it says this, the Lord will march out like a mighty man. You know what that means? Look at the next part of the verse. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. My dear friends, church, listen to me. God is resonating this in our church right now. Whether you like it or not, whether you understand it or not, there is a war cry. The Lord Himself will march out like a mighty man, like a warrior. He will stir up His zeal. You know what He's doing in my life? He's stirring up some zeal inside of me, He's stirring up some warrior like qualities in me. You know what He's doing in in this body as a whole? He is stirring up some things. You know what that means? That means we're going to pick the right kind of fight. That means we're not going to back down. One of the the main things I love about my friends, Eric and Matt, these pastors, these men of God, I have never, ever, in the 20 years that I've seen them, I have never seen them back down from a fight. I've never seen them back down from a just cause. Never seen it. I've watched them not always be successful at it. I've watched it cost them greatly. I've watched it, it... it harm their soul. I've I've watched it harm them and they come away and they're a little bit limping and they're bruised and they stand there and say that was the right kind of fight to fight so it doesn't matter what the outcome is. I've watched them for 20 years be that way. They inspire me to do the exact same thing. You know why? Because these men wouldn't hold up themselves they would say, this is the only standard that we can do. What else can we choose but to stand and fight for what's right? This is the standard. And we're either going to get to the standard or we're going to die trying. But there's not going to be anything in between. This is what we have to do. This is what we must do. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. Pastor read from Jeremiah 51, 20 earlier. But this is from Jeremiah 20, verse 11. It says this, But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Our God is not a pacifist. No matter how we like and how our world wants to glorify that concept, have you guys seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Yes. I've seen it. I like the movie. I love it. I don't actually watch movies multiple times usually. Especially within a short span of time. Maybe after a few years I'll watch a movie again. I'm just not the kind of guy who watches it multiple times. This movie I've watched several times. I love the story of this guy who stood by his convictions, who stood in the face of adversity. I love that fact. You know, as I was researching the movie they actually had to simplify some of his accomplishments usually for movies they embellish to make it worthy of your money to go and watch the movie this one they actually had to simplify it because they thought it was just too unbelievable if they would have shared every part of his story on the screen it's incredible it is incredible man this this what a beautiful picture of a man following his convictions can i just tell you something though he had misplaced convictions the idea that he wasn't supposed to fight a just fight is a wrong conviction. If you take away from that movie that you should be a pacifist, if you take away that it's, it's just kind of about you know, believing in something, he had misplaced convictions. Surprisingly enough, maybe the movies that we're seeing are not what we're supposed to be basing our faith upon perhaps it's the word of God that is the standard. And no matter how much we like the movie, no matter how many tears you shed in those special moments when the music swells and it's just a beautiful moment, those aren't actually what we're supposed to be basing our life on. It's a misplaced conviction that that man had. You know, in a Gallup poll, nine out of ten Americans believe that World War II was a just war. Nine out of ten. But how do you fight a just war if you can't have weapons, the answer is is you can't. You can't. Speaking of weapons, let's look in Luke. Let's look to Luke chapter twenty-two, and we're going to start in verse thirty-five. Twenty-two, verse thirty-five. I also will get to the correct page, then I can read it with you. Luke twenty-two thirty-five says this, Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? We had men in the midst of Turkey who read scriptures that encouraged them not to take extra clothing with them, not to take extra provision. They were there trying to follow the will of the Lord. And you can ask them, Hey, when you went without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? And what they'll tell you is, Nothing. Verse 36, he said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Um, hey, angel, is this in red letters in your Bible? <laughs> the answer is yes. Thank you for your accuracy. I just need the word yes. This is in red letters, folks. This is, these are the words of Jesus Christ. Do you see there? But now if you have a purse, take it with you. And also a bag. So in other words, he's not trying to show them one way to act for the rest of their life as a default. He's actually trying to show them how to listen to the Spirit. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Interesting. Keep going. Verse 37. It is written... And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Look at the next verse. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. Jesus says, That's enough. (laughs) Jesus is asking his men to actually be armed. He didn't need them all armed. Apparently two is enough. Why was two enough and not twelve? I don't know. Can you see this throughout the scriptures? It is clear. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8, since we're close. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 9. It says this He's talking about the faith of the centurion. The centurion, uh, verse 9, sorry. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to, the fo- to the, uh, those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Who is he talking to? He's talking to a soldier. Jesus doesn't correct this man for being a soldier. He says, as a matter of fact... Other people should emulate this kind of faith that is there. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. It's an example for us. Turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter three. Let's look at Let's look at verse fourteen. This is John talking to the crowds, preparing the way for the Lord. Then some soldiers asked him, What should we do? He replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. What is he saying here to soldiers? Did he say, Hey, quit being soldiers? I mean it's time. You gotta quit doing that kind of stuff. He actually doesn't. He includes them as part of the group and instructs them just as he was instructing others. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Verse 1. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Are you with me? At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian... Regiment. So we're talking yet again to another soldier. Let's look in verse 7. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. So we have a soldier who has a soldier as an attendant. He told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. This is where Peter has the vision. He has a vision and he responds to Cornelius and his family. You know what happens at the end of this chapter? An entire family is filled with the Holy Spirit as people are, begin to speak in other tongues. It is a powerful, one of the seminal moments throughout the Bible where you see that the God also gave His Holy Spirit to a man like Cornelius. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. You're not getting bored of the Scripture, are you? Okay, just checking. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 1. Yeah. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, be strong. Be strong. Wow, that, isn't that a reoccurring theme that happens throughout the Bible? Pastor had us yell earlier, rock kazak. The translation for that is be strong. Be strong and courageous. Be as strong as you need to be. Be courageous where you're not counting the costs before you even get in the battle. Before you get in the battle, you've decided that you're going to fight and when It says, be strong. Can I encourage you to have that attitude in your heart today that says, be strong? Don't start talking to me about all the reasons that you can't do what we're asking you to do before you ever try. How many times have you entered a battle and just decided, well, I've kind of got my exit plan. Do you have an exit plan in the kingdom? Because you better not. You better get rid of it. Well, I'm not really sure what the Lord is saying to me, so I need to have an exit plan in case this doesn't work out. In case the cost gets too high, in case the pain gets too much, I need to be able to exit stage left. No. Rock Kazak says, I'm going to be strong enough because God's strength is with me. I'm going to be courageous enough never to falter, never to turn back. I will continue to press forward even at the cost of my own life. If you have an exit plan today, it must die. I'll do this Christian thing. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm amongst a group of people and most of them kind of want to seem to go all out. So I'll try to do that. But the truth is, is if it doesn't work, I'm going back to my family. I'll move back over here. I'll go start this other job. No, I'm, I'm leaving the job there. Because maybe I'll need that to have, got, to, to have my own backup plan. You can't have your own backup plan and fight in a battle. You cannot do it, folks. Think about it for a minute. What right do you have to have a backup plan? Can you keep going to the next verse for me? We're going to read a few together. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Next verse. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier. You know what happens when you have a backup plan? You don't want to endure the hardship that you should endure. You know why? What kind of reasonable person, if you have plan B, wouldn't just take plan B at this moment? Well, that seems easier. You know what? It seems easier for me not to actually have to address my wife if she's not thinking correctly. It would just be easier to keep the peace. So why don't I just default to plan B? I don't know about you, but I have to remove plan B because in my life I de- I'll default to it too much if it's there. If you give me an opportunity, I may actually wimp out in the moment and take plan B. So you know what I have to do? Eliminate the plan B. I don't, I don't have anything. I don't have anywhere to go but here. I got nothing. Amen. Maybe it'll help me endure the hardship like I should. What else am I going to go do? Nothing. If I endure the hardship and please my commanding officer, I'll be rewarded. I don't care if I'm rewarded here. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of planning on not being rewarded here. As a matter of fact, I don't want to even use the reward as my backup plan. Then if I really, really serve the Lord, then He'll give me what I need. And then what happens? Then I'll be comfortable again. It's not going to happen. You're thinking wrongly about this. You're being swept away by a flood of dissipation and you don't know it. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier. You're not a deserter. You're not going to turn your back and run. You're not going to hide in a foxhole. We're going to go in advance for the kingdom. Next verse, please. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Everybody say civilian affairs. Civilian affairs. What are civilian affairs compared to a soldier? It's your job. It's where you're hanging out. It's what you're going to go get. It's where you're going to go relax. Civilian affairs. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Are you involved in civilian affairs today? No one serving as a soldier gets involved in it. So if you're involved in them, get rid of them now. Put them to death now. He wants, why? Because you want to please your commanding officer. How can our God be a pacifist if He's using a soldier's life to show us how we're supposed to live? He's actually showing it as the model. We're going to get to Hebrews 11 in just a minute, in just a few minutes. Guys, we've got to get in a just kind of war. What is it for you? What is it for your family? Who needs you to learn how to fight today? Think about your family for a moment. Are there family members who need for you to fight for them? I have family members that need for me to fight for them. Are there people in your family that need salvation? Maybe you are here today sitting in this room and you've got family members that desperately need salvation. Are you going to fight for them or not? Are you going to advance? It's it's a whole lot easier not to actually bring up the fact that they're not saved. It's a whole lot easier just to go and hang out at Christmas time and change presents like y'all are just, everything's good. They're going to hell. How can you say that you love them and not address these things? How can you not fight this kind of just fight because their lives are hanging in the balance? Why won't you fight? Or is it just not worth it to you? Are you so involved in your own civilian affairs that you forgot that you're supposed to be fighting? It's tiring to fight. But you have to get up every single morning. And you know what you have to do? Figure out the just war that God wants you in and go after it. I keep saying it this way and I'm sure someone who's more eloquent could figure out a much better way to say it. I'm not asking you to start the fight. I'm asking you to finish one. That's a whole different thing. What happens when you start throwing those blows and they don't do anything? Bam! Ah! I read to them the gospel. And they just look at you. Bam! I kind of challenged them about their ungodly lifestyle. Tick! I said they shouldn't do that. Flick! Do, Do you just start wilting? Or do you stand there with righteous blows right after left, as hard as you can throw them? No, we're not going to do that. Pow. We love you, but you're not living right. You can't do that. Pow. I care about your soul. Pow. Do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap a harvest if you faint not. What if that's just about how, how much willing, how willing you are to keep throwing the, 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 the blows? Keep throwing those blows, folks. Let's be the type of people if God tells us to move a mountain we go grab a shovel and start shoveling. But pastor, you don't understand my family. I don't have to understand. I do understand your family. Let's be real. You think your family's ungodly, more ungodly than anybody else's in the room? They're not. The ones who grew but my family grew up in church. We've heard it. There's nothing new under the sun. But you understand my brother's a heathen. Welcome to the club. What are you going to do about it? Would you put up the, uh, the PowerPoint slide there for me, Joy? I want everybody to look at this for a second. Some of you are visual learners, so I'm putting it on the screen for you. No cost is too high when the cause is just. I want you to leave that on the screen for a few minutes. No cost is too high when the cause is just. I want everybody in the room to say that with me. You ready? No cost is too high when the cause is just. Think on it. Say it again with me. No cost is too high when the cause is just. Is that the way you live your life or not? It better be. Do you measure the cost? Do you measure out what they may say to you? When you're thinking about addressing that family member, when you're thinking about addressing that boss or that co-worker, when you're thinking about doing it, when you're thinking about getting rid of something in your life that needs to get rid of, do you immediately start to count the cost? What are they going to say to me? What will they think? What if they don't want to be my friends anymore? What if my family, my dear precious family, what if they excommunicate me from the. No cost is too high when the cause is just. Don't measure the cost. For us in this room, Let's not waste our time measuring how much it's going to cost us. Let's just determine ahead of time with a rock, kazak kind of attitude. It doesn't matter what it costs me, because if it's right, if the Lord has shown me that this is a just fight, if it is a just war, then it doesn't matter what the cost is, because I'm going forward. Otherwise, the truth is, is I'm a coward, and I'm getting swept away by the flood of dissipation, and I just don't even know it yet. No cost is too high when the cause is just. We talked about World War II earlier. 60 million people across the world were killed in that war. 60 million. Incredible. Besides Hitler killing over 6 million Jews, we had Mussolini, we had Stalin, who himself killed 20 million people. We had Emperor Hirohito. You had a world of some wicked men all converging at one time. How in the world can you fight this kind of battle? You decide that no cost is too high when the cause is just. Amen. You fight on different fronts. We had the Pacific front. We had the European front. We had the Eastern and the Western fronts. You had battles on top of battles on top of battles. You can go to D.C. and see the World War II uh, memorial and walk around and read about these things. It's beautiful and it's sobering. But you know what? We decided as a country that no cost was too high. How much more? Are you ready for this? How much more should we do this if an eternal stake is before us? How much more should we do this if the nations hang in the balance, whether we, whether you and I actually engage in the right kind of battles? Or are we so caught up in our own civilian affairs we don't even care? God help us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Amen. I will get there as well. Hebrews chapter 11. What is Hebrews 11 called commonly? The Faith Hall of Fame. You know what that should mean? Anytime you have questions about your faith, you might want to check here to see what you should be doing. It is the exemplar. It's the model. It's the template. It's what you should be doing. These are human beings just like us who decided and made it into the Faith Hall of Fame. Let's look at verse 32, please. And what more shall I say? Hebrews eleven thirty-two. 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon. What did Gideon do? Went he went to war. He led an army of 300 people that destroyed an army of over 100,000 people. Gideon was a warrior. While he's still threshing wheat in a wine press, you know what happens? An angel comes and says, Gideon, mighty man of valor, you big bad warrior, you. What was he doing? Hiding? Was God's word right about him or not? He was a warrior. Barak, in Judges chapter 4, what happens there? Barak fights King Jabin and his commanding officer, Sisera. We hear the story of Jael. Lots of stories about Jael. How she drove a tent peg through Sisera's head. That's so violent. Pastor, that's just too violent and gory. Yeah, unless you think that's just an Older Testament... We're talking about this right now in the Newer Testament as the exemplar of what faith is. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Ask Ananias and Sapphira about whether there's a righteous standard in the Newer Testament. Post Jesus on the earth. Ask, ask them. You're going to lie to the Holy Spirit? <laughs> How about you, madam? You're going to lie to the Holy Spirit? <laughs> yeah, this, this is all the way throughout Scripture. Samson, we know the story of Samson. Killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Killed more men in his final day as he pushed the pillars out than he had his entire life. And you know what we're doing? We're celebrating him. As we should. He is a warrior. Who killed people? Yep, he sure did. Because it was a right fight to make. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. You know what the, one of the first qualifiers of Jephthah is? He was a mighty warrior. He was a soldier. He got picked because he was a soldier. And won. What about King David? King David had so much blood on his hands that he couldn't build the temple of God. A man after God's own heart had blood on his hands. Was a warrior. First Chronicles 16, 18. It says... Can you just put that scripture up on the, on the screen real quick? 1 uh, Chronicles sixteen eighteen. You don't have to turn to it. I want you to stay in Hebrews 11. Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, 18. That would be better. Yes, that's the one. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. Oh, he's a musician. He's a guitar player. That's so sweet. He is a brave man and a warrior. That's awesome. Yes, he is. He's musically talented, but don't forget, he's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. These are the characteristics of his life, and you see it throughout. Not only was he a man who could write songs, he was a man who could defeat the enemy. He was a man who can go into battle. And win. Back to Hebrews 11. Samuel. Samuel, a prophet. Prophet that led the people into battle. A prophet that killed King Agag when King Saul would not. Samuel himself put the man to death. What I'm trying to do, folks, today is stir you, is to get examples throughout the scriptures that say that our God is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And if he is a warrior, we must be like him with a warrior-like spirit. If we're going to resonate and be in, in union with what he is doing, we have to have the same attitude. Maybe it's not in a physical realm, and maybe it will be for you. But whatever the realm, you have to decide that no cost is too high when the cause is just. No cost is too high Decide that ahead of time. Back in Hebrews, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice. Everybody say justice. Justice. It matters to the Lord. And gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. How, How would you like that? Instead of having a backup plan, how about instead of having a way out in case you're not strong enough, how about you decide, Lord, I need you to turn my weakness to strength. I need you to help me in this battle. Who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Man, this should make you want to stand up and and fight. It it should make you want to get up and do something. Women received back their dead, raised to life. Others were tortured and refused to be released. How would you like to be that guy? Well, we're going to torture you. You know, we're done. We're actually tired of beating on you. We're worn out. You can go now. No. I'm good. I'll stay here. Because the cause is just. And no cost is too high Amen. when the cause is just. There is no cost. I will give it all. I will. You think that's all I can take? We're going to keep going after being tortured. No. Nope. I'm going to refuse to be released. I'm sitting right here. You realize we're going to abuse you more? Yep, probably so. We think about this, again, only in a physical realm. What if it's with your family? What if it's with that goal that God told you to do? What if it's with moving forward and conquering sin in your life? What if it's with different things and you've already decided, this is not going to beat me again. It may torture me, but it will not defeat me. Others were tortured and refused to be released. Why? So that they may gain a better resurrection. Just because they were some kind of a masochist, like the physical punishment? Nope. They decided that it was worth it. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others still were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, like with rocks. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. Does it sound like they were very victorious to you? It's nice when you talk about conquering kingdoms and administering justice, isn't it? What about if it's uh, getting sawed in two or being put to death by the sword? It's the same passage, folks. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, and one of my favorite verses in the Bible, one of my favorite phrases in the Bible, the world was not worthy of them. God, they had so divorced themselves from the idea of gaining some civilian affair. They had so divorced themselves from this, that it says the world was not worthy of them. Can that be said about your life? The world's just not worthy of of you. Because you are such on a different level. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves, holes in the ground. Next verse. They were all commended. Everybody say All commended for their faith yet none of them received what had been promised God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect now you can look at that last verse a couple of different ways I want you to leave that on the screen for a second Joy this could be such a a release from all the tension that you just felt in the last few verses that you're like it's only together with us amen yay with us Or it could do what it does to me and go, wow, they did that and it still wasn't complete yet. How much more should I be living like that? It doesn't take the pressure off of me. It puts the pressure right on my shoulders. Dear God, they did what? They're in the Faith Hall of Fame. God Himself commends these people. And it still wasn't complete until my part is achieved to be with them. My God, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? How much more should I be doing? How much more should I be willing to do? How much more should I be willing to risk and to lose? Because no cost is too high when the cause is just. No cost is too high when the cause is just. No cost is too high when the cause is just. Amen. Unless you think that it was just from verse 32 on. What about Abel? He was murdered in conflict. What about Noah? Noah? Who watched as the world was enveloped in conflict and destruction? What about Abraham who took 318 men trained in his own household and went out and fought the first war to get his family back? Trained in conflict. What about Isaac? Constant conflict over wells. What about Jacob? Constant conflict with Esau. What about Joseph? Constant conflict with everybody his brothers, his family, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar, the people in jail, just in trouble with everybody. Until he wasn't. Until he gained the victory that he'd been fighting for. What about Moses in conflict with Egypt, the Amalekites, with Israel half the time? What about Joshua? Constant conflict with the enemies of God, even at Jericho. What about Rahab, who her actions actually caused the downfall of her own city and her own people. Wow. You can call her a harlot all you like. That harlot made it into the lineage of Jesus Christ because she was willing to fight for it. Amen. What about you? What's your background? Where you come from? You come from the wrong side of the tracks? Great, so do I. So what? What are you willing to do for the kingdom and put yourselves in the right lineage? In Deuteronomy chapter 20, it says this. It talks about how when you go to war. Everybody say when. It doesn't say if. It doesn't say perhaps you might come into encounter. It says when you go to war. Oh, yeah, and by the way, when you're outnumbered, when you go to war. Here's what you're supposed to do. Folks, get in the battle. Quit standing on the sidelines. Quit measuring out what you think the cost may be. I'm telling you that no cost is too high when the cause is just. That is the attitude of a warrior of Christ. It doesn't matter the cost. I'm going to do what is right, even if it kills me. I'm going to be holy and defeat sin in my life, or I will die trying. There is no plan B. There is no backup. There is no alternate way to do this. This is not just us being harsh. This is not... Just, you know how many things are said about us as a church that are ridiculous? Do you know how many things are said about us as a church that are rep, uh, repetitious over the years? you guys, why don't you just lighten up? We'll lighten up after we fought with our brothers to make sure that they get their inheritance. We'll, fight, we'll lighten up after the war is won. We didn't just start the battle. We're going to finish our battle. We're going to make war on the earth and in the heavenlies. doesn't matter to us. We will fight on multiple fronts, because that is the right thing to do. Joy, would you put up First Corinthians chapter nine? Just a few more minutes with me, guys. First Corinthians chapter nine and verse 24, please. Do you not know that all that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Do you know what the word for competes there is? It's the same word that we saw in 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. To fight the good fight. It's to agonize the good agony. Everyone who agonizes in the games goes into strict training. That's what it actually says in the Greek. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we will do it to get a crown that will last forever. Next verse. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. Everybody say run, uh, Say aimlessly. aimlessly. Are you running aimlessly? Aimlessly. You know what that means? It means you ignore that there are lanes in a race, and you're just running wherever you want to run. Without accountability, without an understanding that there are judges watching the games, This is part of the definition. For you scholars, you look this up. It's number 84. Adelos. It's uncertain. It's irresolute. It's without accountability. It's without lanes. Goodness gracious. It comes from the same kind of word that says when you make a call, it's supposed to be an intelligible call. It's supposed, you're supposed to say something and it have meaning. It comes from that same derivative. How many people do you know that are just running? If they are running at all. They're just running. What do you want to do? I don't know. I'm going to do what... Don't, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me where to go. I'm just going to run. You know why? Because I'm just excited. I'm going to go run. Therefore, I do not like a, run like a man running aimlessly. Fighting Aimlessly, I do not fight like a man beating the air. You know what that means? That means your punches have no avail. When we're talking about swinging and landing blows, right-handed and left-handed after we've thrown them as hard as we can, trusting in the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about shadow boxing. We're talking about put a blow to the enemy. We're talking about seeing the enemy and walking right up to him, pow, right in the face. Why? This is what we're called to do. You think victory is just going to drop in your lap? You're going to think you run aimlessly and you want to get to the finish line? You're not even in the race, man. You're not even... If you are running, how in the world are you going to get to the end? Let's keep going. Next verse, please. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others... Come on, preachers. I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We're not just asking you to fight today. We're asking you to fight and make sure that you're not fighting aimlessly, being contentious, just fighting because you can, just fighting because you're honoring or selfish or sinful or whatever it is. How about you have a purpose to your fight? How about you understand that God is calling you to the fight? Let's start there. God is calling you to a fight. Everyone in the room, if you're here and you're a believer, then God is calling you If you're part of LCM, I'm telling you now that God is calling you to fight. And if you don't fight, you are disobeying the call of God. I don't want to stand in that place. I don't want to be disobeying the clear voice of the Lord to us. Let's turn to Judges chapter 20 and we will wrap it up here. Judges chapter 20. No cost is too high when the cause is just. I hope that gets down in your spirit today. I know that I'm being intentionally redundant. I get it. I'm trying to get it down so that when it, I want it to come out of my mouth. Yes. You know, when you're, when you're meditating on something enough is when you start quoting it without even thinking about it anymore. Yeah. You've memorized something because of sheer use. I am absolutely a fan of memorizing scripture. You know what I'm even more a fan of? That you use the scripture so much that it just got down in you. There are many scriptures that I've memorized, not even trying to memorize them. I just, I needed them so desperately. I read them so many times. I called out to God and be like, God, you said this. I know you're not a liar, so I'm just reminding myself in your presence of this. I don't have to remind God of anything. What a silly statement. I'm going to remind God of this. Really? He doesn't need us, I promise. Lord, I'm reminding myself in your presence what you said. I'm trying to build my own faith so that I will do what, I, what I'm supposed to do because no cost is too high when the cause is just. There's no cost that's too high when the cause is just. There's no cost too high when the cause is just. You know what I figure? I figure as pastors, we're going to need this kind of statement many times in the days ahead. Yes. Today, tomorrow, this week. When my family is in India, you know what I'm going to know? I'm going to know that this is going to come back up in my spirit. No cost is too high when the cause is just. I don't even want, I don't even want to sleep while I'm there. Lord, just, let's, just, just keep going. You know why? Because no cost is too high. Judges chapter 20. Y'all are probably there and I am not. So, Amen. Thank you for letting me catch up with you. This story has come up several times the last few weeks, hasn't it? You should be familiar. This, when I say Judges 20 now... If you've been paying attention, you might already know the story to which I'm going to refer. The concubine that was killed. The Israelites fighting with their brothers, the Benjamites. Here we are back to fighting family again. Huh, interesting. On day one, 22,000 Israelites were taken out. Joshua chapter 20 and verse 21. Let's, Let's take a look at that verse. Then the Benjamites came out of Gibeah and cut down 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. Everybody say 22,000. 22,000. I found a list last night of the deadliest single days, uh, deadliest battles in a single day in the history of the world. It started out with a civil war battle, Antietam, in which America, since that's all that was fighting, lost 20,000 people on that single day. That was number five on the list, by the way. 22,000 people on the first day, folks. An incredible amount of people to lose. But God told them to go into battle. Keep reading. Verse 22. But the men of Israel encouraged one another. When you're in a battle, you're going to need each other to be encouraged. Amen. Hey, keep fighting, man. Hey, Daniel, keep fighting, bro. Keep fighting. I know it's been tough. But, but you're going to, let's, let's show what the scripture says. Let's encourage each other with the word, with the right kind of spirit, with words from the spirit. But the men of Israel encouraged one another and again took up their positions where they had stationed themselves the first day. What happens when you get trounced? What happens when you give it your all and you get whooped? I know you wonderful people have never had those days. pastor has the truth is is we all have if you haven't it's because you actually haven't gotten in a fight yet that's why if you've been in a battle you know what it's like to go up against somebody bigger, better, faster, stronger and they beat you so they encouraged themselves they took up positions verse 23 the Israelites went up and wept before the Lord did it matter to them that they lost 22,000? sure did Went right before the Lord until evening, and they inquired of the Lord. They said, Shall we go up again to battle against the Benjamites, our brothers? The Lord answered, Go up against them. The Israelites drew near to Benjamin the second day. This time, when the Benjamites came out from Gibeah to oppose them, they cut down another 18,000 Israelites. All of them armed with swords. If you combine those two days, it would vault this two-day period up to about number three on the all-time list. Incredible. 40,000 people in two days. It's actually so many people that, uh, I don't even want to call them Bible scholars, I'll say Bible critics, say that this couldn't have possibly happened. This must have been some type of hyperbole where they stretched the numbers. You know why? Because 40,000, based on the numbers of people that they had alive at that time, would have been a huge, huge percentage. We're not talking 40,000 people with a country the size of the United States. We're talking about 40,000 people out of the nation of Israel, not including the Benjamites. It's just too high a cost. It's just too high a cost. No cost is too high when the cause is just. God told them to go out and they got cut down again. 22,000. Well, I guess we're doing better on day two because we only lost 18,000. Yeah, but what if God's calling you to a battle and you're day two? Isn't it our thoughts that while I'm talking about battling for the Lord, isn't it our natural thought that yes, it will be difficult and we will be victorious? But what if you're day two? Will you still fight? I will. Whether the Lord tells me I'm day two or not, I'm ready to go in and say, if I lose it all, I lose it all because no cost is too high when the cause is just. Amen. If I'm day two, if my privilege in life is just to be the bridge between day one and victory on day three, then I will do it. Who wants to be a bridge? Anybody ever celebrate a bridge? Yay, we're on a bridge. Well, I guess if you're a kid sometime, right? It's a bridge. It's different. You don't get off a bridge and turn and, thank you, bridge. You have traversed this great span for me. What are you doing? You're you're moving towards where the end goal is. What if you're a bridge in this? What if you battle and fight and you're just in between somewhere? What if your day three is not where you're going to get it? Oh, you know what happens? Maybe you become exactly like Hebrews 11. Some of these men were sought in two. Isaiah. Some of these men were put to death by the sword. What if it is your great honor in your life to just advance and give your life for the king? You know what? No cost is too high when the cause is just. We need to be a group of people that are not only fighting. We're going we're to enter this to win. We're going to do all that we can to see the kingdom advance. And I want to win. I want to win. But you know what? Maybe winning doesn't look like the way I have it in my head. Maybe winning isn't me coming out on top of everything. Maybe me winning is doing exactly what he said and it costing everything that I have. Maybe that's the win here. We could go through and we could study how many times that day three is there. Can I encourage you? The idea of this story, anytime you see the third day, whether it's Abraham going three days before he offers Isaac, or is willing to offer Isaac on the sacrifice, whether it's three days that God says, get ready because I'm coming in Exodus 19. When he says that to Moses, or if it's like Joshua, when he says in three days, get ready because you're going to cross over the Jordan. So run through the camp. Tell everybody to get ready. What if your third day is just on the resurrection day? Are you still going to fight? You've got to. That's where we are as a church. You have no choice. If you're going to stay in this church if you're going to walk in obedience to the Lord. How many days did it take for them to win Jericho? Seven. How many days did Daniel have to pray before he got an answer? Twenty-one. 21. So we clearly can't just be talking about 72 hours, because the truth is is we can all put up with suffering for 72 hours, couldn't we? Good. Well, 48 hours and then get to the joy. We've had a lot of people sick. We just keep sharing it with each other because we're just that kind of group. As bad as that is. And I had it too. Truth is, is it it doesn't stick around that long. What if you have to fight for three months for something? What if you have to fight for three years for something? What if you have to fight for 30 years for something? It's still worth it. Would you stand to your feet with me, please?